Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor, and Pastor Charles Roberts. You know, there's an expression that goes something like this. Opinions are like belly buttons. Everyone has one. Thus, in trying to discern the right and wrong of anything, in our day, many hold to the idea that there are a number of ways to determine the ethics of any given situation, that there are many opinions, and there's the question that says, what makes one better or worse than another? Where should personal opinions give way to authority, and what constitutes legitimate authority? So, Charles, that's our discussion today. Welcome aboard again. Thank you. It's good to be back with you, Andrea. So let's explore the implications of the question, should we question authority? And the corollary to that is what constitutes legitimate authority? Well, you probably remember as well as I do that uh, back in our day, that was a, a battle cry of people of a certain age, question authority. You know, that's a phrase that can have a lot of different meanings behind it. But I think in any context, the, the idea is that the the authority that you have been uh, given or, or that uh, claims to speak to you is one that you need to call into question, or maybe it's not a legitimate authority. This is a philosophical question, and it's also a practical question because we live in a world of do's and don'ts. And so if we're questioning every rule and every authority all the time, then we are positing autonomy. The alternative or the opposite of autonomy is not do what our leaders, our civil leaders tell us. It's theonomy, what God says. Well, let me just throw this in the mix right away, because uh, in in preparing to to talk about this issue, I... uh, I was reading through Rush Dooney's Systematic Theology, and he has an entire section in Volume 2 on the subject of authority. And he says this very important thing. He says, authority is an inescapable fact. Man's perspective on himself and his world is governed by his doctrine of authority. To be in communion with authority, power, and truth is essential to life. And so it is, because uh, everyone has a source of authority by which they claim to think and act and measure things. Uh, what scripture teaches us is that ultimately it comes down to two things. It's either going to be, and, th- and it's in that example that you just gave, uh, a voice of authority, uh, a claim to authority that is grounded in humanism and uh, a view that either God doesn't exist or he has no authority, or the view represented in divine revelation in scripture that there is one absolute voice of authority, and it's that of God speaking to us in the pages of the Holy Bible. Therein lies the issue that I would say a lot of Christians would take exception to because what we constantly hear is that the Bible isn't a science textbook. The Bible isn't a history textbook. And I've heard people debate it, and I've even fallen for the trap because implicit in that is elevating textbooks by basically having to justify what God says, especially if it doesn't match up with the textbooks. 
And again, this is goes right to the heart of the issue is, well, what gives those textbooks, what gives a particular um, claim or statement about this is how reality is, this is the, say, the origin of the earth, the uh, origin of human beings, uh, whatever it may be, the origin of government, there, there is an authoritative voice as to where those things came from and how we understand them. And most people don't realize that without much self-reflection, that their views on these things have been shaped by a decision, uh, a presupposition, if you will, that the ultimate voice of authority is man's mind and man's ingenuity, divorced from God, apart from anything God has revealed in Scripture. So it's, it's a, an appeal to an absolute authority apart from and over and against God's authority. And so we see when we talk about things like the uh, subject of, say, what's called human evolution or the origins of the universe or the way things function in the world, that there is either a view that these things function in some fashion on their own or the view that they are divinely ordained. The ordination, the divine ordination or foreordination, that too is an inescapable concept. Holy Scripture teaches us that God is the one who has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. You, you can't get away from that. People don't like that idea, but what they end up doing is locating that authority to foreordain things in the voice of the state. This is another inescapable thing. Men must have authority over them to which they are answerable. And whether it's in their own minds, sooner or later, it's going to develop into a centralized voice that claims to speak for all men. And history has shown us time and again that eventually leads to an authoritative, tyrannical state authority. So you mentioned or asked the question, like, how do we know that textbooks are right? Or what's the authority there? Well, because most people listening to this and most people alive grew up in an environment where we were heavily statist, although they wouldn't necessarily have called it that. You know, when you're five years old, you don't say, wow, is this kind of a our society dominated by ecclesiastical institutions or, you know, statist institutions? You just kind of grow up where you grow up. And so with this whole idea of democracy being the most important way in which political systems should operate, a lot of people will say, well, of course, the textbooks are true. I mean, they are textbooks, right? So obviously, everybody agrees with it. The problem, of course, comes in when the textbooks disagree with God's word. And this is a place where a lot of Christians have to do some soul searching because it's easy enough to um, get your average evangelical Christian to agree that the literal resurrection of Christ from the dead was a real historical event, um, that uh, he was virgin born and all of the basic points of, you know, the uh, basic Christian doctrine. But they've been taught to limit those areas of absolute truth and into different spheres to where that's a religious truth that has to do with God and the Bible and religious belief. But when it comes to science, there's the dreaded word, when it, when it comes to things in so-called nature, well, you know, the, God has set forth this thing where men can develop their own ideas about these things. I mean, God's in that scheme, God is ultimately behind it, 
but he's not the one directing and he's not the one revealing all these things. He's, he's left it to the, the great in, ingenuity of the human mind. That's just another way of saying that God doesn't exist in those areas. Right. And when I think things that I find really remarkable is that you will have Christians often deferring to the experts, whether it's in civil affairs, the nature of creation, or they'll not use the word creation. A lot of scientists will call it the universe or whatever. And when you examine the presuppositions of the people who serve as the experts, you'll often find that they find the Bible to be silly. If you have to go there, we understand people need a crutch. But why should we rely on the information that comes from those who discount God? That, to me, is a really important question. It is absolutely an important question. And I I think that, especially in these times in which we live, in this COVID and post-COVID era, in which we've seen all kinds of claims and statements that one one day this is true, the other day it's not true, one day you need to do this, the next day you do yeah, all of this sort of thing. I think more and more people are waking up to the fact that what they thought was a reality, what they thought was truth, has now been massaged and manipulated to morph into something totally different. And it's like every day you get up and reinvent, reinvent the world. The, 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 the fact is that people who have an interest and promoting that those kind of ideas and keeping people away from a belief in the absolute truth of God's divine word and scripture about uh, everything, they, they want to keep people off balance, and they want people to be confused and living sort of a chaotic life, so that ultimately I just have to tune in to the latest news broadcast or, or whatever it may be so I can know what to believe today. Right, uh, right. Oftentimes, the criticism of a biblical view of history, of science, of economics, you name it, will be criticized because, you know, you're just reasoning in a circular fashion. You're starting with God, you're starting with the Bible, and then you're deriving all your conclusions from that. And then you're back to God again. And I've heard, and I've actually fallen prey to this, tried to defend, no, 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 that's not what I'm doing only to discover that the more you learn, everybody's reasoning is circular because people have to have a starting point. And that starting point is presupposed. It is. And again, this is something that people uh, are operating from on a day-to-day basis, but without a lot of self-reflection. They've not been really taught to think, well, what what is the foundation of knowledge? What is What is it that justifies all knowledge? We just sort of get up in the morning and go through life. I mean, the average person, whether they've gone through public school or whatever it may be, and they get a job and, you know, they're just out there existing and doing things without a whole lot of reflection. And that, unfortunately, leaves people vulnerable to manipulation, uh, to being confused and uh, hoodwinked. And I think, uh, especially if we are talking about Christians, that Christians need to give some serious, serious reflection to the fact that, okay, you're willing to believe, and, and we'll say, you know, Christians that are more or less in our camp, people who take the word of God as absolutely infallible and inerrant, and it's true in everything that it says, and, and it speaks about everything kind of thing. Uh, you're willing to agree that the Lord created 
uh, everything in six days and all very good. Six literal 24 hour days. You, there's a fair number of Christians who are all on board with that. The, the event in Genesis nine uh, at Noah and the flood, they, they believe that they, they don't accept these kind of ideas that, uh, well, you know, that's got to be explained. That's pre-scientific. That's not really what happened. It was this out of the other. Nope. They, they're all on board with that. But yet there are certain places where they will go up so far and then they completely abandon the, the voice of authority of God's word in that particular area. And the justification for that often, and it sounds silly, but is the PBS documentary they saw or what, you know, the gurus of science tell us. And oftentimes these people are very engaging. They're good at public speaking. I thought it was interesting. You're probably familiar with Bill Nye, the science guy. Oh, yes. Well, Bill Nye, the science guy, finds religion to be unnecessary, but almost, you know, you have to tolerate it. But let me tell you how it really is. Well, in between being a mechanical engineer and being, uh, you know, assuming his current role, he was a stand-up comedian. And I think that's pretty funny in and of itself, because those who want to perpetuate a false idea just get people who are engaging and talented and it's amazing how many people will follow because maybe Bill Nye is funnier than their, you know, faithful preacher and he makes them laugh and he's got a lot of graphics and he's got a lot of money behind him. But how quickly we go for the bright, shiny object as opposed to, well, what does the Bible say? People need to wake up and realize that the world in which we live, although having been transformed by the resurrection and ascension of Christ in his kingship is nevertheless one that still is not absolutely totally free of sin and evil. And the evil that exists in the world is perpetuated by people who operate on the assumption that you don't think they're going to do anything bad, that the average person is just, like I said, out there living their lives. And the way that evil events take place uh, the way that horrific things are able to be perpetuated is because the vast majority of people just assume that there's nobody really out there at, who is as wicked as they possibly could be. And so they don't really have anything to worry about. Uh, so let's just don't worry where we're going, what's going to happen because, oh, okay, well, the, the, these people are in charge, but who are those people? And what is the foundation of what they believe? And especially with Christians, it's absolutely astounding how many don't ever bother to ask in terms of their politicians, in terms of their religious leaders, in terms of cultural leaders. What are you basing that on? And mm-hmm. if you're claiming to be a Christian, show me how this, I'm not talking about just a, a simple-minded biblicism. Show me where this fits into a, a larger worldview where God is the absolute source of authority and truth. I would say, Charles, that most people don't view God. They'll give lip service to the absolute authority of God's truth, God's word, that he's revealed what he wants us to know. But what they really see is sort of like an amiable grandpa who will override, you know, the parents' rules and give you a break so that, uh, you know, your life is pretty easy and will be more understanding than your folks. And 
I think when you put more value and being more concerned about being on the wrong side of civil leaders, ecclesiastical leaders, as opposed to being concerned on being the wrong side of God and his word. And specifically, we at Calcedon like to talk about the law word, which means when God speaks, he speaks a command word that's infallible. And when you start exploring infallibility, people get nervous. Yes, and something else that Dr. Rostuni pointed out in that, uh, that section of his systematic theology that I referred to uh, a few moments ago is that the, 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 the ultimate source of authority, it can be either God or it can be, say, the universe. Um, we talked about this before, and I, <laughs> I saw someone on TV just recently. This is a local news broadcast, and uh, she used that phraseology. More and more people do. Well, you know, I'm planning to do this, that, and the other, and I'm just hoping the universe will bring it about. You know, but the idea that anything other than God's authority can be a source of absolute truth has very, very important implications for human beings and for society. And really, uh, the history of, uh, we'll say, the 20th century, and it's looking all the world like it is in the 21st as well, is the effort on the part of uh, people to locate that voice of authority in man or the natural order, and we see where that ultimately leads. It doesn't lead to uh, a very happy scenario. People need to realize that this is inescapable. And I, I really would like to challenge uh, our listeners, and if they know people who need to be challenged in this way, you, you may have been reading the Bible all of your life, and you may read it through once a year, and two different translations, all the rest of it. But why don't we go back and start with Genesis 1, go right through the Revelation, and, and read this book, read this as a total word, that whatever this book says, maybe I can make use of some very good commentaries, but whatever this book says about science, whatever this book says about the origin of the earth, about the origin of human beings, about what constitutes good morals, what constitutes evil, what constitutes what kind of food we should eat, all of these things. And let's see where that leads us, because we know where the opposite has been leading us and has led us. And again, what you're describing is why that will be a difficult chore, even for those who say, well, I, of course, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. They'll discover that they pass over certain passages if those passages don't comport with things that are you know, readily accepted today. And the danger there, of course, is to think that our God changes. In other words, yeah, he had to go ahead and say certain things at certain times because the people were just not um, up to understanding it. And one example of this, and, you know, dietary laws are debated today within Scripture, I mean, among Christians, that what's, you know, what Scripture means. But I remember one textbook from a Christian publisher and as I was teaching my children that said, the reason that God forbade the eating of pork was because the people didn't know about trichinosis and mm. they needed to cook it longer. And I remember, first of all, that was the end of that science curriculum for me. <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine? God has given 613 laws when you count them all up. 
some seemingly more severe than others, but they're there. And in all that, he couldn't have told the Israelites to cook their pork longer. Now, that ended up in their textbook. And and you have to wonder and say, is that how we view God? That God was going to (laughs) withhold the idea of trichinosis. And that's the only reason why he said you shouldn't eat pork. And I think that's that's a good example of how the church, church leaders, Christian publishers, whatever, have failed people in helping them understand and develop along the lines of the total authority, the absolute authority of God's word. Because what often happens is uh, people look for guidance and either the textbook or the Sunday school book or whatever it may be is going to defer to some humanistic thing or other when it comes to that particular area. You know, Um, I mean, we we were talking about diet. There are a a lot of other things. And we're not talking again about at least I'm not talking about a very simplistic publicist way of thinking about things. On the one hand, but on the other hand, I am simply saying that what God has revealed to us in, in a case, say, of, of diet, uh, in the case of interpersonal relations, we need to start with this and look at its uh, application in life. There may be a thousand different ways it could be applied depending on circumstances. God has made allowances for that. That's why we've got books like Deuteronomy and Leviticus that expand the, the simple case laws of what we call the Ten Commandments. People need to realize that God has given us uh, absolute perfect guidance, and insofar as people follow it, they find their lives blessed. But if someone is sincerely looking for that, other than the ministry of Chalcedon, where are they going to find it? You know, because the average Christian publisher, the average Christian denomination or church, now they're happy for you to go off to your science tech textbook or Bill Nye the Science Guy or whatever it may be. Right. You know, so a logical question would come about and say, okay, so where in scripture do we get a definitive statement about authority? Well, of course, (laughs) the Ten Commandments is a good place to start. I am the Lord thy God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. That's a statement of authority. And then The word of God continues with the second commandment about the formation of idols, the whole idea of not taking God's name in vain, and remembering his ordinance of the Sabbath. But then, okay, that's fine. So God is our authority. But look around, folks. There are people in your life. So how does this then go from from God to people? And that is the commandment that says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long. So there's a promise there. So God has vested some of his authority, not total authority, into the lives of families. And when what we see today with the rise and sort of the stranglehold of statism, at other times in history, it was, you know, ecclesiastical institutions that were sort of strangling people, is that when you remove it from the family, you basically destroy the transfer of authority from God to whom? And 
in our day, and I think you'd probably agree with me, as parents are fighting school boards about what their children can and can't do or what their children have to accept, this is only a fight because so much ground has been given up. But praise God, their people are going, no, folks, God gave these children to me and I'm responsible. You're not. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That is an absolute statement. There's no if, and, or but about it. It's clear. It's obvious what he's saying. And then, of course, in the next verse, he goes on to say, you know, because he has that authority, he's commissioning his people to go and make the nations his disciples. Those things go right together. And, and so, we, we have to face the realization that again, this is, this is a competition between the pretended authority of humanistic man and the absolute true authority of Christ and, um, his divine word. One of the most important things I think that I learned early on from the ministry of RJ Rushdooney, uh, and it came from that uh, interview that he did with Bill Moyers on PBS low those many years ago, but he point so he pointed out in that interview and in other places how the, the the case laws or the application of, say, the death penalty laws that we find in God's law, that those refer specifically to crimes against the family. And he pointed out that that, that really, those, they represent treason to the family. So treason is a biblical concept. But uh, most people have been taught to think, well, treason, you know, that's what happens when uh, some American military person sells secrets to some foreign power. Yeah, well, that that's the status version of it. But Scripture doesn't know anything about treason as defined that way. But it does speak about treason against the family. And so uh, that that's why God has tried to safeguard, well, he has safeguarded through the giving of his law, um, the the importance of the family, the centrality of the family, and the proliferation of his word, and uh, the application of his word in, in real-life situations. So um, God takes this very, very seriously, and it's no coincidence that, well, we say go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, but you know, in, in more recent times, we can see that uh, the most severe attacks in attacking almost any version of a Christian culture has been the destruction of the family, or the at least attempted destruction of it. And if you don't approach social problems from that point of view, you're never going to have a resolution. Um, I was recently listening to a podcast where the subject of no-fault divorce laws and how they've impacted the family, then that the state became the arbiter of whether or not two people should have, you know, the breaking of their marriage covenant or contract. Quite frankly, with no-fault divorce and with all sorts of coupling being legitimate marriages, there is no safeguard with the family that the legal system, rather than upholding the family, is basically asserting itself to be superior. So you have family court judges deciding who children should live with, regardless of whether or not one party committed adultery, whether another party is acting um, contrary to God's laws on sexuality, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I don't think people are going to find that any politician who doesn't start off with we have disobeyed God and we must, we must get back to God's standard, even if it hurts for a while. See, too many people want a good biblical solution so long as it won't hurt. So let's go back to the very beginning and let's ask this question. And I'm, I'm going to put it to you, if I may. Based on what we've been saying and uh, hearkening back to that, uh, the, the sappy innocence of the 1960s, if I can put it that way, is it right to question authority? Well, the answer is... If we look at authorities, and let's make it plural, we have to go back to the word of God and say, are these ordained authorities? In other words, are they serving in God's place? Because the principle of authority says we have God, and then God delegates part of his authority to specific people to specific institutions. So ultimately, we're all to be self-governing Christians and live our lives according to God's law word. The same is true of the family. The same is true as the church and the state. So if we have the doctrine of authority or the principle of authority resting in God and his word, then we should evaluate the mandates, the laws, the ordinances that come from various places and see how they measure up with God and God's word. Now, the area where that becomes um, slightly different is that in the family, children are told to obey their parents. And parents have a responsibility to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And long before children can read and write, they can learn. And so from the time they're infants um, and then toddlers and on, children are taught the ways of God. And the faithful parent will communicate to his or her children that you obey me because in obeying me, you're obeying God. And we find this issue in its nascent form uh, and maybe in its paradigm form, of course, in the Garden of Eden. The very first voice raised to question authority was that of Satan asking Eve, did God really say that? So I think that's worth noting, but maybe the, the, the issue was not so much that the question was raised, the answer was wrong that you know that she gave right away the the issue of what, what is the voice of authority you know he, he satan put it right away to where okay you've got to decide for yourself and the, the raising of the question the posing of the question in that fashion it it created this cognitive dissonance in that okay you're telling me i can decide what whether what god said is this that or the other and, uh, I mean, the Lord had already given all the revelation he needed to at that point concerning the, the fruit of the tree and um, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and all the rest of it. So it wasn't like he just said, see that tree over there? Stay away from it. You know, I mean, he, he gave more information than that, not that he should, needed one way or the other. And, and you know, this, 
becomes an example in terms of the parents and the children as well. Part of the reason that question began to be raised among some young people in the 1960s is because the, the, the voices of authority that they'd been taught to listen to really had no justification for what they were saying. In many cases, it's because it pretended to be something like a, quote, Christian answer when actually it was nothing of the kind. It was sort of a, a marginalized civil Christianity that you know, pretended to speak in a, in a way that was generally Christian, quote unquote. But the, the voice of authority is absolutely that of God's revealed word. And I think it's okay to question the, raise the question, what is the source of the authority of what you're speaking? And th- that eventually leads to this whole issue that you mentioned early on of presupposition, foundation. What is your starting point? Uh, to move forward to where you make these claims about X, Y, and Z, and how can you justify it based on that? Exactly. If you don't start at the beginning and ask these questions, then you're living life robotically. I imagine if I said to people, when you wake up each day, do you consciously listen for a voice of authority? If you decide, "Eh, I just don't feel like going to work today, I'll call in sick. Okay, there's an authority you're appealing to. If, on the other hand, you're a parent and you have a sick child, I'm not going to work today because my responsibility is to take care of my child. Each of those decisions are going to be based in something. And I don't think enough people ask themselves the question, what am I basing the most practical things on? You know, like, why do I brush my teeth? Why do I observe traffic laws? Why do I resist certain mandates that come down the pike? If I don't have a structure and a basis for authority, which the word author is right in there, He's like, who is the author? Well, the scripture says that Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. So if we don't start at the beginning and, and when we're reading scripture and we say, huh, whatever it is, I don't really believe that. I mean, I know it says it, but everything else tells me that's not true. That's the point where somebody has to stop and say, which voice am I listening to? Yeah, and you can get at this through a process of uh, elimination, I guess is one way to put it. I mean, you mentioned, say, obeying traffic laws. Okay, well, you can start by saying, well, okay, these particular laws are, I, I am only supposed to drive at a certain speed limit on the interstate highway. Well, where did that decision come from? Well, it came from this particular uh, government source. Well, where did they get the authority to make that decision? And you see, it, you just keep going back and back and back. And ultimately, you come to what is considered to be the absolute authority for making those kind of decisions. And sooner or later, it's going to lead you to one of two places, which is what we've mentioned from the very beginning. It's going to lead to the state or it's going to lead to Almighty God and his word. Now, the state, it claims to have that authority because, say, it's the will of the people. That's another version of the same thing. The Enlightenment writers and philosophers of that era, you know, it's the voice of the people. It's the, 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 the democratic decision of what the majority is good for the majority of the people. 
Well, that seems to make sense. And I think probably a lot of people operate that way. But you see, ultimately, that leads to back to the same place. The voice of the people has to be given an expression. It is given um, a, a visible form. And guess what that is? It's the state. I can almost hear people saying, okay, I don't remember the Bible having anything to say about traffic laws. Are you saying there should be no traffic laws? Wouldn't that be anarchistic? Yes, that would be very anarchistic. So you have to look at what's the purpose of the restriction or the boundary. It's that you need to drive safely. In other words, the value of human life or the value of life in general. So regardless of whatever the speed limit is, if the speed limit is 65 miles an hour and you're in bumper to bumper traffic, you don't go 65 miles an hour because you'd crash and you'd injure other people. So there's always this basis of self-government and being aware of the priorities of God. And life is a high priority. So over my lifetime, speed limits have changed. I can remember in my early 20s being able to drive from uh, Virginia to Washington, D.C., and you could go 80 miles an hour. Nobody was going to stop you. And then there was the premise of preserving the environment and everything else, and it went down to 65, and then it went down to 55, and then it went back up to 65. So I'm not suggesting that everybody should decide for themselves what the correct speed limits are, but we're talking about what's the basis of the rule. And civil government has the role to punish evildoers and protect those that are doing right. And so if there are laws in place, regardless of the speed limit, the individual responsibility has to be called into play because you were operating something that could do damage or end someone's life. Yeah, authority is uh, on the human level, of course, is derived. And that is a part of God's plan. I mean, you mentioned civil government and its responsibilities. The family is a government and it has spheres and responsibilities as well. But what we're trying to ask people to think uh, more clearly about or encourage others whom they may know uh, to do so is, again, what ultimately is the justification for the authority that you uh, accede to. That's an inescapable thing. You are inevitably going to be under some authority. The old Bob Dylan song, you got to serve somebody. Right. You know, people, Christians especially, need to stop and say, well, let, let, me, let me hold on here a minute and ask in terms of, we mentioned diet, in terms of health, in terms of education, in terms of entertainment, in terms of the things that uh, you know, I put before my eyes and my ears that uh, are supposed to help me pass the time in a, in a pleasant way. What is the source of these things? And we see, especially in our time, uh, in, in what passes for entertainment, what is behind and the, the foundational source. And it, it's pretty obvious. It's uh, total chaos. It's like people have to get up every day and, and figure out, uh, well, what constitutes being a man or a woman in this, this particular week? Uh, and sooner or later, people cannot live that way. Or if they do, they live in a very chaotic, anarchistic way that uh, it, it doesn't lend itself to a productive and successful individual life or cultural life. Now, the, the thing that we, the sobering thing that we have to realize 
is that God in his sovereign authority brings his judgments and his sanctions against men and nations who rebel against his ultimate authority. And we've seen time and again throughout the theater of human history that he has raised up those to oppose the drift of evil in society, whether it be the prophets, for example, or some cases he may use uh, some other evil force to discipline uh, God's people or others who are rebelling against him. Certainly the case of the Israelites, time and again, that we, we, we see that uh, in their history. But you better believe, friends, that if, say, in these United States and what used to be a more or less nominally Christian culture, if things are fragmenting to the point where people could care less about any of these kind of matters, there are plenty of others uh, in other parts of the world who aren't so beguiled by the allure of absolute human authority, and they listen to what they consider to be powerful absolute authority on their side. And whether you be talking about something like communist China or extreme uh, Islamic societies, these groups tend to be much more robust, and they aren't worried about uh, uh, questioning authority. They take it with absolute faith, and we can see where this ultimately leads. So from my perspective, and I think a biblical perspective, is that God's word has to be the foundation of our thinking. And when we encounter things that are contrary to that, we have to not only in our own mind say that's wrong, but we're not allowed to just make it something that's in our head. We're supposed to pursue justice. We're supposed to do what God says to do. So if we have laws in place, abortion is a prime example. What does God say about who is authorized to take life? There are very, very specific cases where he gives human beings and human institutions, the institution of the civil government, to take a life. And interestingly enough, the death penalty offenses in scripture are usually assaults against the family. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So the authority that God gives to families are important. But if we say, well, okay, yes, we know that's what God's word says, but you know, what can I do about it as an individual? If you are not hurting because God's law is being disobeyed, then I'd have to ask the question, what will bother you? So when you see inconsistencies in thinking, like here's a great one. By the time some people hear this, it'll be past this, but the Super Bowl is going to be played in Los Angeles, California. And they have said for the Super Bowl, mask mandates do not have to be in place. They're giving a religious holiday to masks because this ritual called the Super Bowl happens to be in their city. But the next day, everybody has to go back to the rules. Well, if that doesn't irritate you just as much as other inconveniences in life, the premise on which they're making people obey is that they're saying, we are God. And if you have ceded any of the authority and the respect and the honor that's due to God to someone else, first and foremost, you have to repent. And secondly, you have to learn what God says so you have an ability to discern valid authority from invalid authority. 
I think one of the misconceptions that uh, is perpetuated by people who are opposed to a full-orbed biblical faith is that, well, you know, you people, you want to impose Levitical Old Testament law on all of society and turn everything into a theocratic state. And I'll speak for myself. What I'm suggesting is far more radical than that. What I'm suggesting and what I believe God's word teaches us is that each individual must be subjected to the absolute rule of God's authority in their personal lives. That's the starting place. Of course, you, you can't just impose this willy-nilly on people who care less about those things. But this has been the premise of Christian Reconstruction from the very beginning, is that is, it is the self-governing Christian man or woman who orders their lives absolutely according to the divine revelation of God in Scripture. And that's the starting point. If you don't begin there, uh, none of it makes any sense, and or it becomes very arbitrary. And the example you just gave is is an excellent one. Uh, one day uh, you, you've got to keep your mask on, but but this particular day, the state in its divine wisdom says, nope, no need for it. Everything's okay. When we, of course we saw the same thing to go down this path for just a moment with the riot some year, you know, a couple right. of years ago. Uh, it, it's the same sort of um, ridiculous inconsistency that somehow people are are willing to live with. Right. So people have to realize that when Jesus said, you must be born again, he wasn't saying it's a good idea. He's going, none of this is going to be possible unless your sinful nature receives the Holy Spirit and you have a new nature. Yeah, we still have sinful remnants that as we go through life and are being sanctified, God works out. But it's not going to happen with some political candidate who promises everything will be better. You must be born again. This is the reality. Apart from being born again in Jesus Christ, there's no way to obey God because you can't do it on your own. And then from there, we have the Great Commission to go out and make disciples. Make sure people understand how perilous they're living when they ignore God. Make sure people understand the value of a biblical education so that people don't think, well, maybe there are like 72 genders, or maybe, you know, marriage could be among people who love each other, not the way God says. It isn't going to work unless we do it God's way. So, yes, I would challenge our listeners once again to uh, really reflect what is the voice of authority? By w- what is it by which you are operating? What is it that drives your thinking uh, on, on any given issue? I, and I don't mean just on a superficial basis. Let's, let's drill down to the very foundation. What is there? When you peel away everything else, what is it that is, is your operating assumption about the meaning of life and everything else. And you may be, you may be surprised. You may be dumbstruck when you realize uh, what it actually is. Hopefully, you'll find, by God's grace, that it is, in fact, his word. Maybe you're not being consistent living it and applying it, but th- there's no reason with God's help that you can't begin to do so. And, and don't forget that the book that we call Genesis is where God lays out the beginning of every major doctrine that we're to hold to be is true. And my challenge would be slow down when you're reading your Bible. Slow down enough 
to read every single sentence and evaluate whether the fact that it gets included in God's word means that God wants you to value it and premise your thinking on it. So by God's grace in the latter part of halfway through, I guess you'd say the last century, um, I just recently found out that it was R.J. Rushduni that helped launch the modern creationist movement because he read some manuscripts that Dr. Henry Morris could not get published anywhere. And Dr. Rushduni helped him get a publisher. And that's where you can see the beginning of people going back to what the word of God said. No big bang, no evolved from pond scum or, or, you know, stardust or however it's attributed to. But I would tell you, and I know you and I have talked about this other places at other times, that there's a lot of other things that as we read through the scripture, we should stop and say, now that's interesting. The Bible says this, but our authorities say this. And ask yourself, which voice of authority are you going to follow? And um, for me, Charles, uh, it's really transformed the way I approach the scripture. I'm now not so concerned with, did I get through that chapter today? Because I'm going to read a chapter a day. It's like, maybe I stop after a couple of sentences and go, whoa, I really got to think about that. Yes, indeed. And uh, let's not forget that as scripture teaches us, Satan was a liar and a deceiver from the beginning. And chances are, there are at least some things, maybe even a lot of things, that you believe about the world that are simply inaccurate and totally distorted because you're being deceived. Yeah. And praise God, the truth is what sets us free. Amen. Okay. I wish I could recommend a book that meant so much to me early on in my Christian walk called The Voice of Authority by George Marston. Unfortunately, it's out of print, but it's a really good small treatise on why we can rely upon God's voice as the true voice of authority. So if you can find it, even if you have to pay a little bit too much for it in like a used book site or something like that, I highly recommend it. Okay, listeners, well, thank you for joining us again. We'll see you next time. You can always reach us at out of the question podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.